Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast-paced world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to Season 5 of the Slow Your Home Podcast. Thank you. We are thrilled to be bringing you Season 5. It's very exciting. First full episode. First full episode. We had our brief catch-up last, well, was the preview episode. So for those that want to just... Get an insight into what we're up to. You can uh, head over to season five, slowyourhome.com slash season five. There you go. Yeah. Just working out the kinks. Season five. How big was season one? <laughs> season one was like 200 and something episodes. Yeah. Big so, season. So when people ask, how many seasons have you done? I'm like five, but you've got to understand. There was we, three and a half years worth. <laughs> we treat that season one as a pilot episode, just one big Experiment. episode. Yep, exactly. Yep. So we're into season five and you spoke briefly in the preview episode about what to expect, but did you want to just take us through now that we're at the first juncture, what to, uh, yeah, what's, what's coming? Yeah, so we're shaking things up again format-wise. I'm really grateful that people have allowed us to, to do that and to experiment and are happy to come along with us on the ride. But this season, each episode will be an episode of two parts. And the first half of every episode will be, I guess, a deep dive into an element of everyday life and the way we go about it, the way we view it, the way we you know process it through the lens of slow living. Because I think that that's a lot of what people are often asking me about is the practicalities. Like, like any lifestyle change, like any philosophy, these things can sound really good on paper, but when you start to try and apply them to everyday life and all of its complexities and fluidities, it doesn't fit neatly. Mm. And I think that's where so many people fall off from any changes. And I completely understand that. So I asked my slow post subscribers, yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, what they wanted to hear more about. And that's what I've used to formulate this season. So that's the first half of every episode. The second half of the episode will be a catch up with your listener chats from the previous season. Yeah. So all of those beautiful guests that I spoke to in season four, who so openly shared where they were at and we kind of workshopped some ideas and some, some actions. I really wanted to check in and see if they had followed through, if they had followed through, what changes they had sensed in themselves and where they're at now and what their plans look like. And I'm really excited to share them because, again, that's looking at all of these ideas in real life. You know, it's not just hearing about and saying, oh, gee, that sounds nice. It's real life and it's messy and it's human. So that's, in a nutshell, what to expect from this season. Awesome. Without further ado to you, let's get into it. Let's do it. So for the first episode of the season, you wanted to touch on a theme that you've spoke about quite a lot and written about quite a lot Mm -hmm. and one that you're constantly asked or questioned about where you're up to in regards to it and that is rhythm. Yes. The rhythm of your day as opposed to the routine of your day. Exactly. So let's sort of rewind and just go to the very core of what a rhythm is. Can you tell or share 
what you mean when you talk about rhythms. I wrote about this extensively in Destination Simple, which I wrote sort of as I was exploring this idea of rhythm versus routine. And I came to understand the flow of my day pre-slow living. I came to understand the flow of my day as like a routine regimented set of tasks that needed to happen in a certain order by a certain time every day and anything less than that was a failure. And I actually had a conversation with one of my older sisters about, you know, the routine that she had her kids in. She's like, yeah, we don't really aim for routine. We aim for rhythm. And that was really the genesis of this whole shift in thinking, because what she meant was certain things need to happen in your day. Everyone has that. Everyone has tasks and chores and jobs and places to be and things to do. Mm -hmm. And often they need to happen in like a relatively similar way. Or in a time-sensitive way. That's right. They just do. You know, no one that I know has the benefit of being able to get up when they want and just kind of float through their day in a chaotic sort of way. So it was about removing the strict time pressure that we would put on ourselves. Like if I wasn't up and dressed by 6.15 a.m., the morning was shot kind of thing. And really just allowing a bit of fluidity and flexibility in those those rhythms. But there's also quite a bit of headwork that goes into creating a rhythm first up because it also requires us to be realistic about how much time we have, what we need to get done, and what sequence those things could unfold in. And rhythm applies to lots of things. You know, you can have a morning rhythm, you can have a daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm, you can have a hormonal rhythm, seasonal, yearly All of these things can have their own rhythm. And I think that if we spend some time thinking about what they look like, it allows us flexibility, but it also gives us permission for things to speed up when they need to Mm. and slow down when they can. You know, Carl Honoré talks about finding the right pace rather than the slow or the fast. Every day has a different right pace and rhythm allows us to to play around with that. Mm. So can I be the devil's advocate for a minute? Yes. It sounds like time is the enemy of rhythm. Think of a a day-to-day scenario. So I might have a doctor's appointment at 8 o'clock and I start work at 9 and I take a break at 1 and then I have to leave the office at 5. You know what I mean? So that they're like time stamps in your day that you need to hit. Mm -hmm. So my question is, Can your rhythm or a rhythm apply to all parts of your life in the same way? Absolutely. I mean, I think, as I said before, that everyone has a time that they need to catch the train by. Everyone has a time that they have to pick the kids up by. You know, there's, there's, there's always going to be times that things are required of us. And I think that the difference between routine and rhythm is that you are allowing yourself flexibility in the moments in between, in that time in between. It's not like floating through, you know, kind of, oh, yeah, I'll get to that later. It's allowing things to take the time they need to instead of trying to cram too much in between your doctor's appointment and your lunch break or leaving everything up to chance. Mm. So for me, rhythm is about just shifting your mindset. I mean, a lot of people say, yeah, it's just semantics, whatever. Fine. If shifting the way you think about your sequence of the day um, from routine to rhythm, if that's the only change you make and it makes a difference, that's great. Who cares Mm. if it's only semantics? Rhythm as a placebo effect. Fine. Still works. Totally. Exactly. You know, I, I like the analogy sort of of music. You can speed up the rhythm of a song you can dial it back dial it back yeah. when you need to and yeah. if you skip a step if you like if you drop a note in that song 
That's okay. You just, just pick ad-lib. it back up. Add lib into a really <laughs> massive guitar solo. Sure. Yeah. You do that too. Yeah. But, you know, you can always pick it back up. And for me, that was the difference. In, in a routine, I felt like I couldn't drop a step because that meant that I failed. Mm. In a rhythm, if I drop a step or if the kids sleep in or, you know, if something changes, the bus is late, that's okay because you just pick it back up. Okay. In light of that, you've touched on a little bit of your rhythm. What, what does it look like now, now that you, we've settled in to our new community? Mm. What does your daily rhythm look like? Yeah, I, to be perfectly honest, I'm still figuring it out. Um, we moved here in June last year and I was very, very fluid with my rhythm for the, the second half of last year. Looking back, probably too fluid in that I didn't really have any structure or sequence mapped out, but I couldn't because everything was new. And do you think that was like opposed to what we were last, the previous year? I feel like it was more routine. Or was it? No, it On wasn't. Nothing was routine last year. No, and I think that was still in that headspace, to be honest. Yeah. I didn't necessarily want to relinquish that. Yeah. But I was intentional about it because I wanted to see how I best work, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I learned so much by basically going rhythmless and routineless for the second half of last year. I learned that that doesn't work for me as much as I like to think that I'm pretty laid back and happy to go with the flow, whatever that is. I'm not very effective when I do that. Mm. I find myself constantly feeling half a step behind. So I learned that and I've made changes this year based on the things that I learned. So I know that if I have inbuilt accountability to certain things, Mm -hmm. they will become part of my rhythm because I don't want to let someone else down. And that's a new discovery for me, actually. So things like diarizing particular events, like regular events, helps. So you and I have diarized our whip. That really, our Monday morning whip. Work in progress meeting. Where we sit down and, and note out everything that's happening during the week. And then individually, we sort of plot out a high level to do list for the week which forms the basis of our daily to-do lists, that is set in stone now and makes an enormous difference to how my week runs and, as a result, how my days run. But also something I wanted to prioritise this year was getting back to exercising more regularly. And I could put go for a run in my diary and find at least seven out of ten ways of convincing myself that I've got other things to do. So I last year I experimented with signing up for classes and paying for them ahead of time. Oh, yeah. And guess what? I go. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. I yeah. don't miss them. Skin in the game is so critical. Yeah, exactly. Particularly when it comes to just myself. And motivating yourself. And, yeah. and, and yes, you're right, not everyone's the same in oh, that regard. Goodness, no. no. So if that doesn't resonate with you and you haven't done it yet, try Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies quiz. It gives you an indication of what may motivate you and as a result of of knowing that you can set up systems in your life that will help you do the things that you'd like to do just going back also to our whip i think what i was doing last year and it was probably as a result of not having any any rhythm i was putting way too many things on my to-do list and if you've read destination simple you know that that is kind of going against my better advice and judgment Mm. Uh, because I think when I see a to-do list with 25 items on it that day, realistically, I know I'm probably not going to get all of those things done. But my brain still tries to convince me that I've failed, even if I get 12 or 18 of them ticked off. I failed. So what I'm also experimenting with this year is keeping my to-do lists uh, manageable 
and, you know, keeping three things on my work to-do list per day and three things on my personal, like home life to-do list every day. And once I get those things done, those high level important things, then I can move on to anything else that I feel like needs doing. And I think that gives me a sense of satisfaction as well, which is a big part of having a rhythm too. You know, you feel like you're hitting the high points most of the time. And that's a good place to be, I think. Because the other side of a rhythm is learning to drop your standards a bit, you know? And I think that that's something I'm getting quite good at, (laughs) not in a bad way, just allowing myself, if the week's busy, you know, the bathroom will will be there next week. I can clean it properly then. Mm -hmm. And, and, And kind of letting go of those less important things in order for me to be able to keep hitting those high notes most of the time. You touched on a little bit of this. So what have you discovered now about your rhythms and how they work best for you? So the accountability thing is really important yeah. for me. But I've also probably learned as a result of last year that I quite like a mix of disciplined rhythms. So ones that are, you know, fairly laid out. And that's where, you know, having the accountability, having the regular tasks, having the to-do lists fit in. But there's also um, an intuitive side of, of me that I really need to allow space for. So even if it is just having a day on the weekend or during the week with nothing specific planned that allows me to top up, you know, parts of work that I haven't maybe done enough of during the week or allows us to spend time with the kids completely disconnected at the beach, going for a bushwalk, whatever. It's sort of finding that balance between discipline and intuition for me that will be a work in progress, but it's a good place for me to to be at the moment because I understand that I'm not all of one or all of the other. If that makes sense. Yep. Can I just make a point on whips for a second? Yeah. And this is a, a statement that you may or may not agree with. I find that the weekly whip process, which is a combination of a routine and a rhythm in that we're sort of finding out what do we actually have to, to hit, you know, what do we actually have to do combined with creating or carving out some space where we can be a little bit more fluid. Yeah. I feel like through the whips, we have avoided so much tension and so much conflict when it comes to things we have to do. Totally. Like unbelievable, like so many arguments have been avoided because we've gone through the whip process. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah. I, and I recommend this to anyone, whether you are, whether you work for yourself, whether you work with your partner, whether you are single, whether you're a student, whatever, to set aside half an hour a week and plot out what your week ahead looks like. It gives you the opportunity to think high level, you know, you put your planning hat on, you put your CEO hat on and you allot these requirements of the week in. We do things like meal planning as well at the same time. Mm. And then you don't have to think about it because you've already done that thinking. You've already kind of used that higher level brain. And then every day you just work through the things that you've already decided. You don't have to keep reminding yourself or motivating yourself. You just work through this rhythm. So I actually think that the whip is a ritual, one that really sets us up for the week ahead. Ritual, yeah. it is. Yeah. And I enjoy it. Mm. You know, I feel much better. We often go down to the local coffee shop and sit with our notebooks, have a coffee on a Monday morning, and then we get into it. It's the best tool we have. Definitely. When it comes to working out our rhythms. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, for example, what you and I will do is sort of we have maybe five or six areas of life that we will work through and talk about anything that needs doing in in that. And sometimes it's home stuff, sometimes it's work stuff, sometimes it's just mine, sometimes it's it's yours. And we plot out what needs to happen this week. We've got our diaries open 
we know when if you've got a client meeting or if I've got an interview and that all goes in each other's diaries so we know and that from that we know who's doing the pick up and drop yeah, off it just takes the guesswork who's out of going it. to cook dinner and who's going to do the groceries this yeah. week and all of that sort of stuff it really does remove so much tension because whether you feel like doing it or not you know what you need to do so that's a tool and that's probably the number one tool that we use. Are there any other tools that you like to use to keep you on track? Yeah, as I mentioned before, diarising things yep. is really important. So you and I have, we, we got mountain bikes for Christmas from each other and diarising a, like a weekly ride doesn't always mean it's going to happen because things pop up. But putting it in the diary, treating it like an appointment means that we're far more likely to get to it than if we say, well, let's go for a ride this week. And then before you know it, it's Friday afternoon. So that helps. And so does paying for and committing to something ahead of time, as I mentioned. So, you know, I've started yoga classes and Pilates classes. Um, I'm doing Aikido this year, which will be kind of cool. Again, committing to paying for those things ahead of time and is a commitment. It's just something that I do. Uh, so that helps massively. Uh, I also think looking at things in a more like close up sort of way in terms of how I manage my work day, mm. I use timers a lot. So I use the Forest app and I know I've spoken about it before, but essentially it's an app on your phone that locks your access to your phone for a period of time that you get to set. And while you're not on your phone, you're growing a tree. And if you get on your phone before that timer is up, your tree dies. And it's just a little fun app. But it's really effective. It's genuinely really effective, particularly when you can use your the points that you accumulate in that app to plant real trees in the world. That's pretty cool. So I use that a lot. And often I'll sit down with a task or two from my to-do list. I'll set my timer and I know that I just need to give 30 minutes or 60 minutes to those tasks before I move on. And I combine that with mini breaks for stretching and playing with the dogs and that kind of stuff. And that sort of breaks up the, the flow of my work day. So here's some self-analysis, which I'd like you to do oh. and share. When it comes to your rhythms, what are you good at? And on the flip side, what do you need to work more on? I think I am surprising myself that I am good at sticking to those external commitments. For some reason, some probably egotistical reason, I'd always convince myself that I wasn't that kind of person, that I was motivated enough in myself to mm. get things done. Yep. The reality is I'm not. And that's fine. Uh, I think it's just important to recognize it. So on the flip side of that, though, I also need to make sure that I don't overcommit myself in an effort to show up for other people, if that makes sense. You know, I need to be able to be motivated and disciplined enough to do my personal work, my quiet, private work, writing a book, creating newsletters, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is something that I do have a tendency to do. So I think that the external commitments thing is, is important. And I think we're both, you and I are both quite good at picking up the slack if things get a little hairy, if your work week blows up, you know, yes. you've got something that comes up unexpectedly. I'm quite good at saying, well, I'll, I'll take over dinner, I'll go get the kids, I'll take them to judo, that sort of thing. And vice versa, you're also really good at it and you're very good at it at the moment while I'm writing the book. Uh, and I think that's an important part of, of rhythms is allowing that fluidity and flexibility and adaptability. Yeah. If we were rigid in our routines, you'd be stressed out about yeah. not being able to do this thing that you had written down that you must do and I'd be angry at you. because oh, Totally. That's exactly what it would be. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah. that, that's where the power of, of rhythm comes in as well. It's interesting. That exact point is something that I need to work more on. When I say that I'm going to do something, I go out of my way to do it to the point of like almost acting like a victim. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, There's a streak I, of the martyr. Yeah, the martyr. Yeah, like I said I'll do it and I'm going to do it. Like, no, Ben, no, Ben, you better settle down. (laughs) Like, just relax. Relax. There's other people that can do it. It's okay for that to change. Exactly. Uh, That's definitely something that I need to work on. What about you? Uh, Yeah, I definitely need to work on that too. (laughs) Here I am going, and look at the streak of the martyr in you. (laughs) But we are quite good at recognising that. I just think that when we become overwhelmed, we get into that martyr mindset, which is not helpful for anybody. Um. Also, pretty good getting better at dropping standards a bit. You know, if those less important tasks in our rhythm, our weekly rhythm, don't get done every week, that's okay. Yeah. And I think that comes from becoming much clearer on our values and our priorities and we're living according to that. I can't fault us for not having vacuumed the floor today uh, if it means that we're showing up for the kids in a, a way that's important or you know, whatever it is, it's it's just a about looking at priorities and, and dropping things as needed. And I think if you find yourself continuously dropping the same things over and over again, then you're probably trying to do too much. Yeah. But on the odd occasion, I think that that's a, a good sign that you are living with that flexibility and adaptability. Uh, in terms of what I need to work on, I was interviewed on a podcast. I think it was a Swedish podcast. I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. I'll include it in the show notes. But she introduced me, the host introduced me to this idea of graceful transitions, you know, just allotting a certain amount of time between the end of one task and the beginning of another or the end of one sort of part of your day and the beginning of another and intentionally resetting in that transition time. I'm very bad at that. I'm really bad. Like I will close my computer five minutes before I need to go pick the kids up and I'm still back there. When you do. When I do pick the kids up. Mm. So this year I'm working really intentionally on giving myself an extra few minutes, whether it's to walk down to get the kids and clear my head and, you know, just be outside and shift my thoughts to what they're going to need of me in the next couple of hours Or even if I do drive to pick the kids up, leaving five minutes early, sitting in the car, in the quiet, just doing some deep breathing exercises and bringing myself into the present. And that's such a powerful uh, idea, I think, and one that I'm really trying to, to work on this year because it's definitely something that's a bit of a weak spot of mine. And I guess the other thing that I'm actively working on is switching off more. Again, I guess that's really related to the the graceful transition idea, but switching off from work to home to home and staying switched off, which is hard to do when your work is at your home. Absolutely. And again, better at it some days than others. Mm. But over the Christmas break, I deleted emails off my phone and I deleted the Instagram app and not having emails on my phone was a revelation. I'm keeping it like that. I'm going to keep my emails off my phone for as long as practical. And what that says to me is that when I have access to my laptop, I'm in work mode. Yeah. You know, when my laptop is open, when it's near me, I'm in work mode. When it's closed, I am not in work mode. None of the emails I get are urgent. None of them. I'm really lucky in that way. So if it has to wait till the next morning, that's okay. Um, Similarly with Instagram, I'm going to experiment with only reinstalling the app maybe every Thursday and Friday. Okay. And posting only every Thursday and Friday. Can you post from the browser? 
I don't know. I've never tried. No. Um, but I'd prefer that because that feels like a line in the sand, you know, yeah. to reinstall the app on Thursday, post, share an episode or something, and then delete it. Right. And then do the same on Friday and just see how that goes. I mean, it's not really a big change for me mm. because I don't post very often at the moment. But if I set it up as an intentional sort of rhythm, maybe A, I will post more and B, I'll be able to, to kind of shift in and out of that um, space much more readily. So they're kind of the things I'm working on. Now, that's awesome. You recommended that I delete my uh, Instagram app as well, and it has been so nice. Mm. It's an extra step, right? I didn't realise how much time I just mindlessly scroll on Instagram. It's like was my go-to checkout. Procrastination tool. Definitely. Yeah. I just need one for YouTube now. Well, you can yes. if you're interested. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a, a, a plug-in called Freedom. And that will block your access to certain websites at certain times of the day that you get to set up. And it has like a nuclear option where it just locks you out completely for the day. A nuclear option. Yeah. And I find that that is very helpful. That actually is what allowed me to break my addiction to Twitter years ago and Reddit. Because I found myself spending hours reading Reddit threads, which was horrible. You just lock it out completely forever. And I still can't access Twitter. I still can't access Reddit. And it's great. Uh, so if you're looking for a tool, I can recommend Freedom. We will see. Yeah, I'll One step a, at a time. Exactly, that's fair enough. Yeah. I will have a link to um, Freedom in the show notes too. I think they've got a like a free trial that people can try as well so i'll include a link to that in the show notes which is a good lead in because procrastination is the enemy of ambition yep isn't it yeah i've said that phrase quite a lot this podcast and someone who has a lot of ambition is Kate Mildenhall, who you caught up with recently to go through her learnings from your initial conversation from yeah. last season so kate was episode 1 season 4 and you might remember that she was really, I guess, curious and, and, and juggling this idea of slow living versus ambition. Like, can the two coexist? We had a, f a fantastic conversation about what her concerns were and, and, and why she saw slow living as maybe the enemy of ambition. Mm. But we also had some really practical suggestions and takeaways for Kate to, to tackle over the, the months in between we spoke when we spoke. And I had such a fantastic catch up with her. I'm so inspired by where she has taken her choices and her values and priorities since we, we chatted. And I'm really looking forward to, to sharing it because I think Kate's episode was actually, they all resonated with people for different reasons. But Kate's episode really hit on a concern that so many of you have about whether slow living actually affords ambition and affords that busyness, you know, that people look for and enjoy and, and want by living a full life. So enjoy. It's a fantastic chat. Kate's awesome. Read her book Skylarking if you haven't. And read her book Skylarking, but listen to this episode first. And enjoy. Hello, how are you? I'm good, Brooke. How are you? So good. So happy to talk to you. Oh, and I am also happy to chat to you. I feel like there's a, we should just make it a weekly thing. Let's do know, that. Put it in. <laughs> I love that we're back here for the next season of the podcast and that we're starting with you because you kicked season four off with um, such openness and 
I think, courage, honestly, and bravery in our conversation. And I was so grateful that that's where we got to begin. Um, So I'm really stoked to be able to come back and check in with you first for this season. As am I, because you made things happen for me. (laughs) Well, tell me, how you feel like you listened back to our conversation. Um, Did you have any immediate takeaways from, you know, me and you chatting or also my conversation with Tish? When I was listening back, and there's a part where you'd ask me about uncertainty and I talked about like I was ho- physically holding my chest. Yeah. And um, I really had been doing that. But I think maybe one of the things, and Tish talked about that messy middle being in life a little bit, which maybe I had kind of been avoiding. Mm-hmm. And so listening to that, I thought, oh, no, I think I'm doing that a bit better. I'm embracing that a bit better. I listen to, um, I'm reading Helen Garner's diary at the moment and I'm just like rationing it out a little bit at a time because it's full of such incredible um, insights every day. But her great thing is she is there every day paying attention to the world that she's in and being a creative, being a writer by just observing the world that she's in, which is kind of that stuff that you were both saying, which is you can't be a, a creative in a vacuum. Right. It's interesting. I was thinking a lot about that and I always bang on about, you know, paying attention to details and things like that, which is which is fine. But there's also like the other side of the spectrum, the other end of the spectrum there, which is the big stuff. It's the messy stuff. It's, you know, the the pain and the beauty and the tears and the like the belly laughs and all of that. And I think yeah. that all of it is important, you know. Yeah. And I think showing up for it is something that we can fall out of practice. Yeah, you really can. And I think one of the um, benefits that has come from me in kind of embracing this idea of, okay, yeah, I'm going to call myself a writer when people ask what I do, um, is saying, okay, well, I can hang at the pool with the kids for three hours on the hot day after school because also, like, this is this is incredible content right here. Like, if I have to validate my anxious running around self to be in one spot and let the kids play for three hours and not multitask if if I have to use the reason that well I'm a writer so I'm 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 observing this and I'm paying attention to this then that that's okay too yeah if that's the way that it gets me to do it then that works you and I spoke briefly about it before we hit we hit record but there's a difference I guess between positive pressures um, and negative pressures as well and I feel like your fear of letting go of you know that that stress and that overwhelm and like the edges of life that you said are what yep. informs your writing so much of it. Uh, like that can be replaced with positive pressures as well, which is sort of what Tish was talking about. Like go out and live, go out and spend three hours with the kids. Like that's still a pressure in your life in terms of I'm not writing, I'm not multitasking, but it's a positive one, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Those big feelings too. I said to you I've recently gone to my um, 20-year reunion, which was just the most fabulous night and um, finished, you know, at 5.30 a.m. But (laughs) the best. Part of it, there were so many great things about it. Like I was kind of high on that nostalgia for like a fortnight afterwards. You know, it was like it was exactly, it was positive, it was buzzy, and I think embracing that a little bit more. And one of the gorgeous things was I got a message from from a friend, you know, I hadn't seen for 20 years after the thing, and she said, mate, you just look really happy. And I was like, I am really happy. You know, sometimes it takes someone else to say that back to you before you're like, yeah, actually, this is great. Like, I really like my life and what I'm doing. That's amazing. I'm yeah. also hats off to you for going to your 20-year reunion because <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> oh, so fun. You know, I should I should say I married someone from school who wasn't in my year, so he didn't come to the reunion, but 
I've got a big gang of friends. So totally understand that it was not such a pressure yeah. for me as it was for people who um, haven't been around people from school. But everyone had um great time, a lot of dancing. That sounds <laughs> like a fun, fun night. You know, and yeah. that's actually, that's a really important point. You know, you said, right, like you rode the high of nostalgia, like that buzz of nostalgia yeah. for a couple of weeks. That's such a beautiful way of looking at doing bigger things as well, scary things, um, exciting things, beautiful things. Like I went to see you too a couple of weeks ago, which was such a great concert. And I didn't go in with very high expectations, to be honest, because like stadium show and a lot of people and sounds a bit crap and all that sort of stuff. But it was genuinely one of the most beautiful experiences. And I'm still living the benefit of that, you know, it, it it shifts your perspective, I think. Yeah. So those big things, well, I wouldn't want to live at a U2 concert and you probably wouldn't no. want to live at your high school no. reunion. Dipping in and allowing yourself to be all into those big moments is, it's really, it's fuel. You know, it's fuel yeah. for viewing the world differently. It's fuel yeah. for viewing yourself in the world differently as well. That's so true. And Brooke, you know what? I think that I, for a really long time, had been addicted to what you said was the, the kind of negative feelings and I often say this to my partner and he just laughs at me I'm like I'm anxious because I don't feel anxious enough you know like something must be wrong because I'm I'm gonna drop all the balls you know it's it's the lead up to Christmas I should feel anxious right Why don't I feel anxious and you know it's taken me a really long time but I think that I'm slowly coming to terms with the fact that one doesn't have to be anxious all the time to you know live a good life yeah. like that's not how a whole bunch of people in the world go around living and maybe I could be one of those people who is not anxious all the time yeah that's really interesting that that sort of that was a, for a while your measurement of being all into life like I'm all in because I'm stressed I'm all in because I'm anxious I'm all in because you know all like, and I guess letting go of that is scary because if that's the way you measure life and the way it's going, yeah. for good or bad, yeah. letting go of that is really scary. And, and there would be heaps of people I imagine who can identify with this. If you're succeeding at life while you are really stressed, then you assume that that's the only way you will continue to be able to succeed. Yes. Yeah. So it is a, it's a terrifying thing. But I tell you what, if there's anyone who's listening who hasn't yet <laughs> embraced the fact that you can do it without being anxious, I highly recommend it. It's been great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that makes me so happy. Now, I know, I know that you have taken to heart um, the idea of saying no since we spoke because you've emailed me a couple of times saying, I, I just said no to a thing and I feel great. <laughs> How have you come to be happy with that? Like how did you embrace it? So a couple of things around the same time we talked, friend recommended um, Greg McCowan's book, Essentialism. Um, and he's got this great quip in there about, you know, it's either a hell yes or it's a no. And I was like, okay, you know, Brooks told me that she's never regretted saying any of the things that she said no to. I've got this new information coming at me. So I had a great opportunity kind of land in my lap one that honestly, kind of three or four years ago, I would have just dropped everything to do. Um, but it kind of didn't work time-wise and it didn't work in terms of remuneration and I just said no. I just said no. I just said um, and it actually felt so good about it, <laughs> so proud of myself. Um, and, in fact, the outcome, the conversation that came from that with the person who, you know, kind of made the request of me was really positive as well. So I was like I didn't even – nothing got broken from this exchange, like – it's a win-win. Um, that was a really good one. 
And then I said no again to something else, which was a trickier one to say no to, but I kind of projected forward how would I feel doing this gig at this future time. Um, and it wasn't a hell yes. Yeah. So I said no. I'm so, so happy for you, honestly. <laughs> Someone put it to me the other day. They said it's much better to have five minutes of discomfort, having the difficult conversation, saying no, than months of resentment because and that's what happens I've I've put myself in that position too many times to count where I don't want to let someone down I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth either so I against my better judgment I'll say yes just to avoid that discomfort but then I find myself in three months of resentment and of like berating myself and everything that comes with that so I think kind of recognizing that like and you said it was a tricky one to say say no to yeah but you navigate it and you get to the other side and you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> exactly. And I think that immediate relief to you go, oh, yes, that was that was absolutely the right, the right decision. Yep. And you know the other thing that's really helped is I have um, a couple of excellent groups of writers who I talk to really regularly and in one of my groups I think we've just got really good at being each other's backup to say, okay, no, you definitely need to say no to that. So even, you know, we put it out on our WhatsApp you know, group or whatever, oh, should I do this or should I maybe not do this? And everyone's just like, no, of course you shouldn't do it. Say no. <laughs> and so having that kind of like a little Greek chorus in my ear, which yeah. is saying, you know, remember what the priority is. Remember that it's um, a moment of discomfort. Remember what you actually want to get out of next year or whatever. So yeah. that's been really helpful too. And I think like having a bit of accountability too, you know, like a mastermind or for want of a better word, um, yeah. just to kind of go off on a bit of a tangent, but because I think that that's a really helpful tool for people to have in their toolbox, like a crew of people who get it. How did you develop that group? Um, one of my groups is from when I was studying um, and that's a terrific group and we do retreats together um, as well as a bunch of other things. Um, my other group is local based. A bookshop actually got us together and we meet weekly and we don't share writing or anything like that. We've yep. got really diverse experiences in terms of what we write and how long we've been writing. I've, I've kind of said in the past it's like the business of writing, it's agents and things like that, and it is that, but it's a lot of other stuff as well and it, it's just a very supportive, strengthening kind of bunch of people who are, well, they're, they're friends but they're also colleagues and yeah. I think when you're doing creative work that's non-collaborative, which often writing is, I really miss that. I miss the staff room. I miss people to bounce ideas off. Um, and and that's what that, that's what that group is for me as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's really powerful, really important. And also like that sense of accountability, particularly yeah. I'm discovering myself that accountability is probably the most powerful tool for me to activate change. I have yes. really resisted that for the longest time because I love the idea of being like the self-sufficient person. Yeah. I'm actually not, you know, and I, I really do need that, you know. So yeah. how have you set up a structure for yourself to be accountable? Um, I mean, first of all, in terms of writing, like in terms of work, I have set up a, a separate place to yeah. write now and that is the key thing for me is to get yeah. up, get dressed, take the kids to school, go and write. Um, yeah. I'm looking because I'm only new in the community. I'm actually looking at developing a writer's group. I don't really want a writer's group where we we share writing and and kind of do that sort of thing. I'm looking for essentially what you've described, which is let's come in, let's talk about it, let's be colleagues, let's be peers, let's bounce ideas off each other, not about the creative work necessarily but about the processes around it. Yeah, Um, so important. Yeah. And then in other areas of my life, 
I've started going to classes. So I've started a yoga class. I go to Pilates a couple of times a week. Setting dates for things and telling, having someone else involved is the most important thing. Yep. Like ben and I have got mountain bikes. We put it in the diary. We go out for a ride. I have friends come down from Sydney for the day. We go for a bushwalk, you know, and having other people involved is out of my comfort zone, to be perfectly honest. I yep. love the idea of being able to roll through life by myself but I actually don't operate at my best at all when I do it like that. No, yeah. no absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I did one of those, um, you know, one of those things where they do all the psych testing on you and whatever, and they work out who you are. And I am like a hundred percent ideas, networking, love getting things going, huge energy in that area. I am hopeless at finishing things. Yeah. Like I need someone else always in my team to be the finisher, to yeah. get me across the line, because otherwise I would just hang out in the big ideas phase, you know, forever yeah rather than the grind so that's who now I like grab around me oh can you be can you collaborate with me on this because I need you to help me finish things when you said about um accountability too I mentioned to you before that the new thing since we've spoken as well in my life has been crazy 5 50 in the morning gym um and the reason that I've got back into that is because my gorgeous friend who lives really close said okay I'm I'm coming I'll be at the bottom of your drive driveway at 5.50 and you jump in the car and we'll go together and then go into a class where someone tells me what to do for 50 minutes and I'm nearly dying but I'm being told what to do. Christine has ensured that I, that I stay accountable to it. Like I'm there every morning. It's been so good. All I have to do is get to the bottom of the driveway. Exactly. It's You don't have to push yourself the whole way through. You, like I just have to get Not- up and get in that car because someone's waiting yeah. for me. Exactly. You know? That's all I have to do. Yeah. It's that, it's that few moments of discomfort for the payoff. Yeah. Gyms should offer this service <laughs> to people to get them I there. Think people would probably have better outcomes maybe if they yeah. did. Like shuttle bus will pick you up at 6.30. <laughs> yeah, and then be there. Um, but also, you know, during therapy and at, at various times in my life, people have tried to help me with mindfulness and, you know, being present and being in the moment. And I'm always trying to do, you know, a bazillion things at once, even if it's just in my own head. The fantastic thing, and then I remember that I'd miss so much about being really physical and, and being at the gym and things like that, is um, you can't afford to think about anything else because your whole body is focused on trying not to die. And that's been really good as well. So I know that I've got those 50 minutes where I just can only think about, you know, not falling out of a plank or whatever. And and it's good for you. It's really, or it's really good for me. Similarly, since we've we've spoken, that was maybe that was actually the genesis of the like the, these changes that I put in place because I think that there is something really important that happens when we get out of our own way, you know, in, yeah. in terms of our brains, and do something that we're completely focused on. And I think even yeah. better if it involves some kind of physical activity. Yep. Because, I mean, the the mental health benefits are massive. But also, as someone who does creative work, I don't know if you find the same, but that giving my brain that space where I am not thinking about the book that I'm working on, I'm not thinking about anything else. I think your brain has space to fire off all these connections and ideas. and, and, And I often have really creative thoughts after maybe if I'm having a shower or, or whatever something yes. something is shaken loose you know and yeah. it's a benefit across the board yeah 
I think I I taught a um, class last year, this year, um, called Creative Resilience, and one of the things that I talked about in it was the idea of inputs and and having you know the walk or the book or the excursion to see a piece of art or whatever it is that you require that's not related to the work but that you require so that you do have that that energy. And I think when I am on retreat and I'm writing and I've got such a big chunk of time that what happens in my days is that, you know, I write really well in the morning and then I have to walk mm. and then I have to read and then often I nap and then I'll t- have another big session. And I'm like, well, that's the way that I work ideally with having those kind of inputs in the middle of the day. Well, I mean, it, it fills you up in different ways. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it's possible to do anything consistently and constantly yeah, um, without absolutely. refueling. I'm curious how the whole idea of saying no and how the, the whole idea of adding new things like your 550 gym class and, and all that stuff, how, how has that affected your thoughts on ambition? You know, I know you were worried maybe about losing some of that ambition if you yeah. say no or if you step back. It's so interesting, Brooke. This morning I was just talking to my very gorgeous and amazing hairdresser and she was kind of laughing at me because I've got to um, fly into my to the publisher this weekend. She was like, you're living the dream. And I did that thing, which I know we do so often, where I was like, yeah, yeah, it won't last though. <laughs> and she was like, stop. Why will it not last? And I think that maybe there's that thing about, you know, our, our fear is of succeeding as well you know, all those things that you want for your career and your creative life, there's part of me inside that always tries to kind of do a little bit of self-sabotage mm. just to, you don't want to A, be too disappointed or B, even worse than that, be seen to be too disappointed because yep. that would be like the worst thing that could ever happen, right? That you got ahead of yourself. Oh yeah, got too big for your boots. <laughs> yeah. So I think it was gorgeous just hearing Emma say it so clearly this morning. That had a really profound effect on me, I think, just to say, you know, why Why could it not just be like this? Why mm. could it not just be great? And obviously there's there's always going to be shit times as well, but that's wrapped up in a whole lot of, of fear of, of succeeding. Yeah, I used to that fear of success as much as we feel fear failure was, it yep. didn't make sense to me until I started yep. looking at my choices and my behaviours and I'm like, all these opportunities that over the years I have kind of squandered. I haven't said no to them. I've just squandered them because yeah. I, what might happen if it pays off and then and then yes. what? And it, you know, I don't know if you ever get this feeling. Maybe you're at you're camping or something and you look out at the stars and just for half a second your brain opens up to the infinite nature of the universe and it's terrifying totally terrifying and your brain's like ah I can't deal with it and it shuts back down and you're like I just had it for a second and it's gone I feel like sometimes that's how we respond with the idea of but what if it does go well what if you know you allow yourself to put out your best work what if it's a really interesting human kind of trait to shut down in fear so it's Yeah. yeah to make ourselves just a little bit smaller I relate to that a lot. <laughs> yeah. But what you're allowing yourself to do as well, you spoke to me briefly about your plan for, you know, 2020 is to yep. f- to spend some solid time in focus on one project. By saying no, by developing that clarity, you're actually giving yourself the opportunity to fulfill that ambition to your highest yes. potential in a different way. You're experimenting with it, but yep. you're giving yourself permission to do that. And it's scary. Listening to Tish too, some of that stuff about, you know, it being messy and all of the feels like that's part of embracing uncertainty too, mm-hmm. is going, okay, well, well, what if I did work like this for six months? And what if I gave my, myself permission to be 
completely and utterly immersed in a project for this amount of time like what what would that look like and what kind of work would it produce um it does make me feel a little bit sick (laughs) Um, (laughs) because what if it doesn't work yeah um but what if it does exactly what if it does allowing yourself to sit in the fear of that question is the ultimate in being human and sitting in uncertainty you know and I think that's one of those big feelings that you spoke about in our first conversation, feeling out all the corners of it and, and exploring it for what it is and then letting go of the expectation of a result and just saying, mm, let's see. Yeah, terrifying. Oh, I'm with you 100%. <laughs> but like, what a difference, though, that you're willing to go there and you're giving yourself permission to just live in the messiness of it. Yeah. And, you know, doing things like that too allows, and I am in the very lucky position of where things timing in terms of the books, et cetera, that um, I've got the summer off with the kids and we go to the beach and it's in a place where you, we've got absolutely no phone reception or anything like that. Like it is complete um, switch off time. And that's that tilting thing as well. Like I know I'm going to give that aspect of, of my life and my family, all of my time and attention. And it, and it will fill me up as well. It, mm. will, it will fill me up so that I can come back to it and be intense and kind of quietly working on the book um, and prepare for the other end of the year, which will be the, the craziness of the other book coming out. Um, so we'll see. It's exciting. That's an awesome place to be in. And also, I mean, what I, I hear with you is intention as well. Yeah. It's choice, you know, and I, I know we did speak a bit about the idea of choice and we're making choices to show up in different ways. I think that there's a lot of peace that comes with recognizing that this is a choice and, uh, you know, you're, you're really focusing your energy and attention for the next 12 months. And I think that will be an interesting experiment too, to see how you feel on the other side of that. Like you, you understand having been through the whole book release thing and the, the chaos that it is, you understand what's involved and what it can take from you. But you're now approaching that through, again, with the idea of positive pressure, like that's a positive thing. And I'm, I'm going yeah. in eyes open wholeheartedly. Eyes open is so useful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like when you're lucky enough um, to be coming at things a, a second or subsequent time around and being able to say, what you are willing to do, what you're not willing, you know, what you're willing to compromise on. Um, that's so useful mm. in all aspects of, of what we do. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. Not just work, not just writing a book, but with literally anything. If you're, you know, you're self-aware enough to look back, reflect, learn and make changes. That's a, a really positive thing to do. Um, I know we spoke in our conversation about writing a eulogy. Did you do that? Well, that's true. I've, I've tried yeah. a little bit to do it. Um, I've actually recommended it even to other people. Uh, I've got some random notes in one of my journals um, when I did it and it made me cry too yeah. much so then I couldn't. Um, one of the joyful things about this year, when you realise that you're doing the things, mm. and I think that's what was delightful in that message that I got from the old school friend, who, who was saying like, it seems like you're, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Like, and I was like, yeah, because I've got family and I've got beach and, and I've got writing and, you know, I've got all these things. I've got my gorgeous friends and they are the things. And I actually, I haven't done the eulogy, but I did find when I was cleaning out stuff, cause I'm moving into a new um, studio, I found an exercise that's 17 years old. Uh, so I did it, must've done it at uni and it was based on a um, Bertrand Russell poem, what I've lived for. And um, so this is before I've had kids. I was teaching at that stage. But, my gosh, so much of it was just exactly there. I What I live for, I live for. 
beaches and I live for my friends and I live for, you know, the satisfaction of deeply getting into an idea and this really clear cluckiness that I had at the time about about wanting to have kids. So that was pretty incredible to look at that. That's kind of the reverse eulogy in a way is that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm living um, what I wanted to live. See, I think that you've already got it. Like you've done that. You don't need to flip that around and, and write a eulogy because even though you said you rediscovered it after 17 years, yeah. I think something very powerful happens in our life, in our choices, in our heads when we write something down. And I'm not I'm not talking about manifestation or anything like that, even though that might be yeah. what you could call it. I've found time and time again with myself, if I commit ideas and if I commit my heart to paper, I will often yeah. rediscover those things, those pieces of paper years down the track. And I'm like, I didn't realize, but that was actually unfolding yes. all that time. So I think you've already done it. I mean, I think I love that you've rediscovered it recently and you can reflect on on where you're at and what you've done and and what what you live for and it's there. I mean, that's how I feel today too, Brooke. You know, like no doubt, (laughs) no doubt if we talked in another month or so in the depths of, um, you know, creative angst, (laughs) I'll feel completely different. But I think what you're saying is exactly right. When you write it down, and this is what's been so glorious about reading Helen Garner's diaries as well, is um, aside from the regret that I feel that I haven't journaled more yeah. religiously in my life, I'm like, well, that's maybe something I'll do in 2020. Just get down those tiny moments in a day that you can pay attention to that also add up in the end to to what you're living and what you're doing and exactly who you are. Well, you know, how we spend our moments is how we spend our lives, really. What I love about that idea is it's accessible to anyone and everyone the way we choose to spend this moment, the way we choose to speak to that person, the way we choose to, you know, lay with our kids for that extra five minutes or whatever, they don't seem like they matter except that they really do. They really do. Yeah. There's always another moment. If you feel like you wasted that one, don't Mm. let that feel like the be all and end all. I mean, obviously everyone has a finite number of moments, but what I love about it is there's always a chance to rectify, you know. Yeah. Yeah. that's really freeing too, isn't it? When you when you actually accept that kind of idea too. Yeah. Exactly. I think that was another profound change in my life when I stopped being a ripper outer of, you know, like, I don't know if you did this, but I always used to like start notebooks completely fresh because I'd be like, oh, I've stuffed that one up. So I'll rip all the pages out and start again. Um, but no, that those other pages with all of their mistakes. And I think you do this so much better um, or I've done it so much better now that I'm dealing with my kids who are one of whom is terrified of making mistakes. Mm -hmm. So we have to really actively make mistakes around her and acknowledge our mistakes and talk about them. So I've got much better at that now too. I think mistakes are learnings, that's all. Absolutely. They're an opportunity to grow. I love that. You're modelling what it looks like to actively make mistakes and learn and be okay with it. As a parent, I think that's one of the, the most important things we can give our kids is to say, I don't have all the answers, I don't know. You know, I used to grow up thinking that maybe I should pretend that I have all the answers for my kids so they think that I'm this infallible person. Yeah. That's not helping them. You know, that. Oh my gosh, I am so infallible. (laughs) (laughs) Infallible, I mean. I mean, I'm so fallible. Not infallible at all. Uh, yeah, and I think it's really important to be to to show them that, and that allows yeah. them the freedom um, and the permission to screw up and admit it and move on, because we show yeah. them that that's what we do. Yeah. Kate, this has been like sunshine in a conversation. I feel so good <laughs> after talking I know, to and you. I put all these things written down to go. Oh God, Brooks, tell me. Okay, I've got to go and look that up. I've got to go and look that up. <laughs> it's always a delight to chat to you. Oh, likewise. Let's make it a weekly thing. Let's do it. <laughs> 
Thanks, mate. Thank you, Brooke. Who is that? Hi, Papa.